Hello and welcome to episode 73 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, telling stories from the LAFC community match by match, fan by fan, story by story. Chris, Christian and I are coming at you today with a little Adios 2020 special, putting a nice wrap on this 2020 year and good Lord, can we ever get it behind us fast enough. But boys, how you doing tonight? Happy holidays. Good to see you. Chris, Christian, how you guys been? I've been good, you know, in a busy year, right? Uh, Christian with his... New baby boy, you, Jonathan, with your work schedule, me with school and my own work schedule. I got promoted at work, so there's all sorts of all sorts of things that are just, you know, requiring our time. So I'm, you know, we took a little hiatus, but I'm glad that we're back. Granted, it's at the end of the season, but, you know, we're looking to start fresh in 2021 and get the ball rolling. And what better way to do it than to, uh, you know, start with an episode, conclude 2020. Well, congratulations on the promotion. And speaking of congratulations, how is that baby boy? How's my Professor X over there? He's doing well. Uh, he's healthy. He's getting stronger every day, you know, admiring the progress he's making. Every little thing, you know, astonishes us, right? Humans are born so fragile and they learn these things. And life has a new meaning, well, however cheesy that sounds. But it's definitely been very motivating. And also work schedule has been crazy. So I'm happy to be able to work from home and then see my son as often as I can without having to go into the office. Uh, so that's been awesome. But time has been at a premium and these games have been a good way to briefly escape, but it doesn't necessarily change my mood in a way for about 2020 because, you know, we didn't perform the way I think we could at times. Well, it's uh, glad to hear that you're finally getting to the point in the process while you're getting some sleep. Uh, the sincerest congratulations to you Thank and your you. wife that the little one is doing well. I think we are all happy to see 2020 finally come to a close and, and sincerest hopes that 2021 brings us much better things than what we have seen here in 2020, especially from our LAFC. We have had so many wonderful, wonderful moments this year. But ultimately, each of our competitions has ended for us without success. So sadly, after our last couple episodes, we mentioned being bounced out of the MLS's back cup. We clinched a spot in the playoffs, ultimately falling to Seattle again. And hope on the horizon of a CONCACAF champions run. We knew it was going to take a David versus Goliath performance for us to make it past our first Liga Emekis into three more Liga Emekis opponents. So let's just talk about how you guys felt going into this final round of CONCACAF champion games, that very first game back versus Cruz Azul, and what you guys were thinking going into that match. I'll take a step back. Going into the end of the season, going into Seattle, I thought, you know, MLS tried to do a good job of squeezing in the season. But it was unfortunate that teams that are successful and have recruited and signed players down in South America were going to have basically two weeks plus the, the quarantine period without their, their players, right? And all of us, I think, were holding our breaths, making, you know, or hoping and praying that none of our players uh, and every, every team with South American players in the national team for their countries contracted COVID. And I feel like well, all four of our players did, right? So not only did we lose them for at least one game, we lost them for a second game plus their quarantine and they couldn't fly back. So I felt gutted when that happened. I didn't think the squad was even close to strength without 
four starters. And I thought we still had a chance going into Seattle because I think Schmetzer was still genuinely concerned because I think at that point in the season, we had played four times and it had split without us being at full strength. So I was hopeful. Vela was starting to get fit. You know, they scored on us. They punched us in the mouth first. And I think we got a penalty kick called. And I've never seen Vela doubt himself going up to a kick, a spot kick. And I'm not sure what happened. He just kicked it at the keeper. And I feel like the team's belief went down after that. And we weren't able to recover despite being able to score and creating a couple chances. We just didn't look like the team that was going to win that game. We didn't. So crashed out and... I think the hope was that the CONCACAF, like you said, was coming up and everyone was coming back. So that's how I felt about that match. And I don't know if you guys have thoughts on, on that Seattle match before we jump into the CONCACAF. But uh, I, I felt better that we did have games coming up after because that left a bitter taste in my mouth in terms of how this, the MLS season ended. I was nervous, right? I don't feel like LAFC had been consistent in the matches leading up to the playoffs. We had some good matches, and then we had some bad matches. And the one of the matches that stood out to my head uh, leading up was the match against San Jose, where San Jose was on a really bad skid, and they were losing a bunch of matches. And then they came into the bank, and then they ended up winning in the last final minutes. And, you know, it just shows you that... LAFC was just inconsistent, whether it was with a uh, full roster with all of our DPs or it seemed like we were healthy enough to where we shouldn't be losing in the fashion that we're losing. So I was definitely not as comfortable. I mean, obviously, I felt like anybody can win on any given day. So I didn't at no point did I think, oh, my gosh, LAFC is overmatched. Yeah, I was just wasn't I was not sure which team was going to show up. And that's going to be the same that was the same feeling i had with the champions league was we didn't win in seattle and that was you know you can credit that to the lack of players um which obviously probably played into it but you know it just seemed like there wasn't the chemistry that we had previously seen in the previous two years and so i wasn't confident that it was going to be there for champions league so i was i was nervous for the crucible match and you know when we went down early we went down on the penalty in crucible when we went down early i was just like oh man you know it because you want to at least look good if you're going to lose you want it to be competitive you don't want to be blown out and uh and i'll get to that later because that was a similar sentiment to in the match against tigres but you wanted it to be competitive and you wanted to look good and show that we deserve to be there so the fact that we ended up showing up in cruz azul was amazing i was so happy and so elated that we ended up winning that match and in the fashion that we did so we have the mls's back tournament without vela we have the playoffs where we lose four players arguably some of our core to covid and we finally get into conca champions and we realize that raito's probably not fit yet in his recovery from covid ultimately we end up losing a twista for the final we never really got a chance to see our proper starting 11 go out there and perform in a big game and i feel like 2020 has obviously robbed so many of us of so many things much, much bigger than the world of sports. Uh, we all know that it has been a year filled with so much loss and sadness and tragedy. And yet, from an LAFC perspective, putting all of that into greater perspective, but from an LAFC angle, the fact that we never really got to see this team, arguably one of the best MLS squads ever put together, 
able to compete together was really kind of my biggest disappointment. And so going into Cruz Azul, the idea that we had the majority of the squad back sans Raito, but at that point in time, Mazovsky had been playing well. You know, we were kind of looking pretty good up front with Rossi and Vela. It felt like that that midfield lock was in place. The back line had really been stepping up and had performed much better of late. I was really tempered optimism, I think, going into Cruz Azul. Obviously, knowing that it was going to take something no MLS team had ever done in going through three Liga MX teams. I think, like you, Chris, I was really just hoping that we had competitive games and beautiful football. I didn't want to get blown out. I didn't want to get embarrassed. I wanted to make sure that, you know, we left this tournament with people knowing that even though it's only our third season, LAFC is a big club. LAFC is a legit club. And that not just within the landscape of Major League Soccer, but within the landscape of the greater CONCACAF North and Central American world, that we are a legit force to be reckoned with. And so the performances, especially Cruz Azul and that second half versus Club America, you have to say that we cemented ourselves in the minds, certainly of the Liga MX teams, and the rest of the CONCACAF had to see that. And so there are some positives to take away from it. But both of those games going down early, a couple bad defensive moves that end up giving up the penalty. You know, we continue to struggle on set pieces. That came back to haunt us in both the semifinal and the final as well, too. There are some of these things that keep occurring that certainly I think are a frustration point for many of us within the LAFC community. So as you look at those two games prior to the final, and the final was sort of its own piece of agony we'll get to in a second. But when you look at the team going down early and the resiliency to come back in both of those games versus Cruz Azul and Club America, I'm very curious to hear your thoughts about what that is about resiliency and what that is about X's and O's tactically that put us in that position, A, and B, got us out of it eventually in the end. So, Christian, why don't we start with you on this one? What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, no, I'll take a step back and give you my comments on Cruz Azul. So, uh, in terms of Liga Amekis, I don't avidly watch it in the same way as uh, MLS, but I do start to tune in once Liga starts. And I don't necessarily watch all the matches, but I do watch the pre, post, and highlights. Something that happened in Liga Amekis with Cruz Azul is they were in the semis, right? And they won the first, like, 4-0. In the second match... Pumas tied them 4-4, right? And the way it works in Liga Mekis, it's home and away playoff series. And then whoever finishes uh, ahead of of the two teams, if there's a tie, that's the tiebreaker. They get through, right? And then there's a Cruz Azuliada, which is like something in Mexico that's a verb that's used for Cruz Azul because they always are, you know, the, the bridesmaid. They always end up getting to the final or semifinal and somehow screwing it up. So there's a, a word to basically screwing something up when you get to the end uh, called Cruz Azulada. So the manager right after that game basically resigned. I think they had a few COVID cases. Everything was in disarray. So I felt optimistic because of our team finally being together and having a couple weeks training together. And then all this fiasco going on with Cruz Azul, the pressure put on the team to at least themselves try to salvage the, the season uh, but everything was kind of in disarray, uh, interim manager. I think in their minds, they still weren't all there, uh, probably still thinking about how the heck did we screw this up. Anyways, 
So that's why I felt optimistic because I thought that they weren't able to be able to figure it out. I did, you know, I did start to doubt like our team when we gave up PPK because K gave that terrible back pass. I'm like, I don't know what was what was that all about. It forced us into a PK, and then you know we gave them something because they they weren't in the game at all. So what I was proud of the team is, you know, we're on the front foot. We're you know making them, we're causing mistakes. In the end, we ended up scoring two. Uh, it came back, and I think our confidence grew from that match. And going into the America game, I lost some respect for Ochoa, and Piojo has always been an antagonist, and he's always had his antics, and his teams do the same. So I wasn't surprised that they were trying to win ugly. One thing I will say about that match, and I didn't hear enough people even in Mexico talking about this, is the respect that Club America had to LAFC in playing with five in the back. Like, are you kidding me? A Mexican team putting five in the back, four in the midfield, and just one striker, that doesn't happen unless you are the smaller team. And we're talking about the biggest team, the winningest team in Mexico. And they gave them a red card, right? Or they handed them a red card against LAFC out of nothing. We play with 10 men. Vela turns it around in basically two minutes. And then Blessing puts the nail in the coffin. Like the, the fiasco that was talked about in Mexico after was ridiculous. The way they railed them over the coals. It caused an international uh, managerial change for them. I was proud of the team just getting through that game. And I was really confident going into in the Tigres match. So... That's how I felt about those two matches because we put a lot of effort and belief and we finally executed, but I was concerned with the Atuesta red card leading up to the Tigres match because, and I think we'll get into it once we talk about Tigres, that match, I think it kind of forced Bradley's hands in some ways that ended up costing us the match. I didn't, you know, and I, I didn't realize that, right? Like, I'm not, I'm not a big X's and O's person, but it, it, I, now that you had mentioned it about the five in the back and the four in the midfield, it's true. Like, wow, I didn't really think about it that way. That that's the approach that America had, and it's, uh, it's interesting. You know, the, the biggest takeaway that I had from America was that LAFC just had a lot of grit, you know. And also, the other big takeaway was Ben Chi, dude. In the group chat, Ben Chi just did not, he didn't give up, dude. He, if, I mean, we're all in that group chat with him in the LAFC community on what's happened. It, it's, I have to give it up to him. Ben Chi came out and he was like, no, we've got this. We're going to do it. No, like, and that chat is usually pretty active during games. And it was, it was a little less than active and, and then after, dude, it was I was I couldn't believe it. Those those ninety minutes, like we've talked about, uh, Jonathan, you and I, we talked about the the roller coaster ride that the Dodgers gave us in the World Series against uh, the Astros. That was the same thing, dude. It's the same thing where you just go from crazy low to extremely high, you know. And it, it's I think that that is why this game touches so many people. Because in an instant, this it's just you have this rush of emotion. And I believe that that's why LAFC means as much to, to our fans as it does is because, you know, that's that's what that's that's like what uh, Ray and Julio stand for. They say that's sports, man. That's that's the heartbreak. It's the heartbreak that brings you back because there's the hope of why it's going to come. And this is what sport is. And this is this is. Lavanda, this is why you you come back and see them play is because you know that what they can do and yeah they're going to give you disappointment at times but 
it's still it's uh, disappointed because we didn't win but it I'm so proud like I'm so happy with how we performed and I'm so yeah I'm just proud like I can't say anything negative I mean yeah we have critiques maybe but at overall given the circumstances I was I'm really happy really happy with how the team performed and played and I'm like I'm not gonna sit here because to play a perfect game is hard. It's not easy. Given the circumstances, I feel like I'm really happy with how LAFC played in the Champions League. Yeah, I'm gonna have to agree with Christian on going into the Cruz Azul game. I was pretty optimistic. You know, we'd caught wind of their COVID cases. We knew that their coach had been sacked. We knew that the team was, uh, you know, not going to be at full strength or with a proper gaffer that has had time to really mold the squad. So I was optimistic. Disappointed in k is a theme we'll touch on here again in a second but we went down the resiliency of the team to fight back set a tone that carried over into the next match and you know i know i have a lot of friends that are huge league mx fans i really don't have a league mx team i root for i don't follow the league very much you know i'll catch a game once in a blue moon but i i know very little about the league I have always sort of admired the animosity between Chivas and America fans to the same way I look at a Yankees-Red Sox rivalry. I appreciate that the two sides have no love for one another, but I've never really had anyone, you know, there's no emotional investment for me in that fight, right? But after 45 minutes versus Club America, I have developed a lifelong hatred of Club America that will be with me forever at this point. Uh, the manner in which they chose to play that game, the antics by Memo Choa, a person that I had respect for and completely lost in that moment, uh, a coach that is clearly not the greatest human being, went on to behave like he was not a great human being throughout the course of that match, a well-deserved sacking. He has no business being in charge of a team with that kind of attitude and antics and you know, a, a four-game ban he received for the scuffle at halftime. He received another game ban for the use of the walkie-talkie illegally, which he made zero attempt to hide whatsoever. He stood there holding that walkie-talkie in front of his face for 45 minutes. You know, all of that, I have to say that halftime, the animosity was roiling inside of me. I was so disappointed at that flagrantly outlandish red card. I was so disappointed that we had gone down in the manner that we did. And then from the whistle in the second half, that first 90 seconds, to go from a place of complete darkness to seeing Vela put those two goals in in quick succession to do the exact same thing to Memochoa both times and to beat him to that far post with his left foot both times was absolutely beautiful elation. I knew once... We had that lead that it was going to take a really strong defensive effort. And I think our minds often just advance to the blessing goal. And we go, oh, well, we won 3-1 and it was handle. But that 20, 30 minutes from the time that Vela scored the second goal until the red card evened it out, I was so impressed with the defensive effort that the team put together. Club America was throwing everything at them at that point, And you could tell we were stifling it. They were getting frustrated, 
And ultimately, that frustration boiled over in an absolutely terrible tackle on Rossi that got the straight red. And at that point in time, once it was 10 v 10, I felt like, okay, I can finally take a breath, right? And then Rossi comes forward. You could tell he was gassed. He was hurt at that point. He just misses the shot off Ochoa's foot. And then Blessing cleans it up, our star man, to put it away. That was such a great feeling. I'm screaming, running through the house. And at that point, I felt like, you know what? We can do this. I really had a lot of optimism going into the Tigres game. I felt that any team that could beat Leon, could beat Cruz Azul, that could beat Club America, could beat Tigres. And that was such an amazing quarter and semifinal. How it played out, the resiliency of the team, the performance. Yes, there were some things we saw that disappointed us, right? And it's just such a bummer that those little things in games one and two ultimately ended up being our downfall in game three. So why don't we go ahead and advance to the final versus Tigres. Uh, I'm going to take a backseat here and calm myself down for a moment. And Christian, I'll throw it to you. And I have some sidebars on the uh, the Club America comments you made. Like the first one, uh, I actually wore that jersey for eight years playing at Leonard Park, uh, a little park club team. And that team was great. And that jersey, you know... To me, it had a special place. It's not like I watched Liga Mekis, but whenever they played, back then at least, they were the biggest team and they were a very respectable team and they played the right way. I feel like Memochoa tarnished that for me. But ever since Piojo got there, it's been that way. I will also say that he did win quite a few trophies for them, but in an ugly way. Right? He, he embraced the villain, became the villain, and the rest of the country hates that team. So... Unless you are for them, you're against them, and I understand that. But the way they've they've won things is despisable, and it's not the right kind of example you want to be setting in football and soccer. So I'll say that. And then the other thing I will say about Vela in that game, that first goal was super sneaky. And if you go back and watch that replay, he lulled that defender to sleep and and kind of made him feel comfortable in that pass. He waited till the player looked down. And it was about to kick the ball to burst into his cutting off of the pass. So when he when he looks up, Vela is a good five yards back from where he ended up getting the ball or stealing the ball. As soon as he looked down to to pass the ball, Vela is basically in the passing lane. The, the pass wasn't strong, but he was banking on some sort of comfort. He got the ball and he struck it, and you know he almost it almost and that guy almost saved it too. He almost kicked it into his own net, right? And then the second goal, Segura, his awareness was great. Like that long ball was amazing. I think the, the, Dude, the defense was just was one of the best assists I've yeah. ever seen. Yeah. That was such a great assist. Sorry to me. Yeah. So, you know, those were great observations, Jonathan. I, those, those things just brought back some memories. So that first goal, what Vela did there it was, was very cheeky the way he did that. And it was amateurish of the uh, America defender to assume that Vela wasn't going to step up because they had 10 players. He thought that they were going to sit back a little bit further back, and Vela counted on that and struck. I do have one question before we also get into the Tigres match. What is the relationship between Memo Ochoa and Carlos Vela? Like, like are they friends outside of the sport? I think they are friendly. I mean, they're a national team compatriots, right? right. So, so they spent a lot of time together. And to, to tell you another thing, what makes things even more complicated, and these are good questions, uh, Pio Herrera is the the manager that convinced 
Vela to join the national team for the last World Cup that he participated in. And there's a lot of drama as to why he didn't go the previous World Cup. And that, that could be another episode that I could tell you about. But Piojo is the one that convinced him because he was interim manager for the Mexican national team. So there is a bond there, right? And his fiery personality, that that does fire players up, right? If you're playing for him, you you kind of embody that energy. And sometimes he takes it overboard, so his players do as well. And that's why he's an antagonist. But he was one of the first people to reach out to Carlos Vela and try to set things right because the Federation had treated him unfairly, punished, over-punished them in a situation uh, two World Cups ago. Uh, and he felt un- that it was unfair. And that's why Vela has basically shunned the national team and why a lot of Mexicans either love him or hate him. So uh, there's a lot also, of layers there. Oh, oh no, I, absolutely. I'm not, and I wasn't trying to cut you off on that. I, I'm, I'm actually very interested in hearing sure. what, uh, you know, on an, uh, we should do. We should do a Carlos Vela episode. Just you know, the Vela, la Vela. Uh, but we also need to give it up to Ante Razov. Ante Razov is forever our hero. Forever. If that man pays for a beer again anywhere in Los Angeles, it will be a crime against humanity. He never, ever, ever should ever have to pay for his beverage anywhere. And and I'll put my money down on that right now. Um, we owe that man a 12-pack for sure. Um, <laughs> every, every single person in the bank, 3252, outside North End, I don't care where you are, that man stood up for us lit a fire that you know got that locker room going and you could see it in vela when he came out and in the rest of the team and uh a my spanish is terrible and b this is a family friendly show so we won't say what vela said after he scored that first goal but vela got right in their faces too and was chirping back at them with some some not so children friendly language there uh and even in my minimal understanding of spanish i was like oh you can't say that <laughs> yeah, I listened to uh, Ante Razov actually had been interviewed um, on Sam's Army, which is a podcast for the U.S. men's national team. And he it had just come out like a day or two ago. I listened to it yesterday and he talked about everything that played out at the America match and how everything happened. And I just was, oh, God, I want to like shake this man's hand the first time I see him again with gloves and some hand sanitizer, but. Right, gloves and hands. Yeah, but okay. So, Tigres. Let's. Uh, I I definitely felt very confident going into this uh, all day on Tuesday. I was smiling from ear to ear, and I was at work, and I was just you know telling everybody, anybody who cared, hey, watch this match, LAFC. They're playing against a team from Mexico. It's gonna be great. LAFC is gonna come out. They're gonna play well. It's good. You know, we just beat the Club America, and I I was very very excited. Uh, I knew it was gonna be a challenge. You know, uh, a couple of my friends who do watch Liga MX, they said that uh, Tigres would be a harder team to beat than America. But I just I felt like the momentum that we had because somebody else was also talking about how. Uh, Olympia, when they played Tigres, it just didn't look. It 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 wasn't a, even though Tigres won three zero against Olympia in their semifinal, it wasn't like a great performance. You know, it looked like they didn't perform to this high high standard that they were being held to. 
So I felt like the momentum that we had was going to carry us into that final. And it technically did. We struck first. You know what I'm saying? Like, the, our momentum, I really felt like we came out on all cylinders and we played well. And we just, we just, couldn't, we just couldn't seal the deal, you know? Yeah, I completely agree. I was going to say, I had, I had cautious optimism. And the reason being is this team is a championship team. Like, they've been, the core has been together for close to a decade. They've won multiple titles. And uh, Gignac, Andre Pierre Gignac, is just the type of striker that I've said it before, I think, even on this podcast. Like, if we could get a DP number nine, like Gignac, he just needs like two seconds with a decent ball. And it's on frame at a very minimum placed with power. And I was cautiously optimistic because the Atuesta red card was not overturned. You know, CONCACAF is going to CONCACAF when they are given a chance to CONCACAF. I don't know why they stuck with that decision, as if someone was going to protest if he if that red card was rescinded. I feel like they're making decisions like it was 1990, not 2020, uh, in terms of video evidence and all that stuff. But anyway, that's besides the point. And the reason being that I thought that was uh, going to be something that um, was going to affect us negatively is Liga Mekis teams basically have two teams, right? They have their starting 11, but their bench is much deeper. Players 12 through 16 could be starters in the MLS, right? They don't have salary caps. They can spend freely. So there is more true competition in their 22, 23 players. So I knew that if the game got deep and we weren't like winning handily, and tied that this could be overturned because they've been in these tough matches before. And another thing to keep in mind is they've gone through to this final three times before and lost, right? So they had extra motivation to finally get through to the Club World Cup because they've lost to their rivals, Monterrey in the past. They've lost to, to Club America. And uh, Gignac, in fact, one of the reasons he had not retired is because he wanted to win this specific cup. He said that. Uh, multiple times this year. So that's why I was cautiously optimistic because I didn't know who who's going to start in the midfield. It was either Ginella or Blessing. I was actually voting more for Ginella because I wanted Blessing's energy to come and finish a matchup, right? That's that's what we, I thought, made us successful against Cuba America, right? He came on for Atuesta, and I think we had them on the ropes with a 10 versus 10, by the time Ginella came on. And it was it was a difference. We lost rhythm when Ginella came on. I think that was not a mistake. I think that's all we could do. And I know there's been a lot of social media chatter as to why that sub ha- happened. I want to know too, but all I know is that I watched the press conferences with, with Sifu, and Sifu did say that he didn't play for an entire month. And I don't think he was match fit to go past 60, 70 minutes. And I think Bradley should have ridden him until the wheels fell off to be honest with you um because he he didn't look happy coming off even if they had had the conversation hey you're gonna come off at this point he looked like he was pushing himself to finish the game and maybe offensively he wasn't sharp but defensively there's no question that that second goal does not happen if sifu is on the field because he's gonna hack that player even if he can't reach because he doesn't have the legs he's gonna bring him down at around half field so those are my kind of main observations. 
in terms of us pressing and taking it to him for seven minutes, I felt great. I felt like this is what we've been doing the entire tournament. This is the type of team we have, and we can do this. We should have put three goals away. And the fact that we only were able to get one, I was nervous the entire time. And I thought the zona marking was lazy. The communication in the back with Vermeer not kicking away was was lazy. I think there's no trust in our center, center backs and our goalies because he had the angle. He had the time, and they still decided to kick it off to the side. And then they were lackadaisical and getting ready. And then Mark still didn't get a clean strike on clearing the ball. So I, our confidence was down after that. So it was all downhill from from then on. Yeah, so, I mean, going into the Tigres match, we're all riding this high, right? And for the first 70 minutes of the game, we played like champions. And I, I had a super stressful day. Uh, you know, the kickoff was at 7. I ended up working from 5.30 to 6.30. And I had to race home to get home just in time to see, you know, the guys coming out of the tunnel there. So I was super worried I was going to miss the start. And I was still, like, trying to settle down from getting in from work. And, you know, the, the nerves are running. And there were some little things I was noticing early on where the passing was just not crisp and clean. The midfield did not look like it had that same cohesion when Atuesta was there, but we expected a little bit of that with Atuesta out. And I know a lot of people are really disappointed that they didn't overturn that red card, but you know, let's be honest, if they had video assistant refereeing or if they were going to go back, sure, we might have had a Twesta, but we probably wouldn't have had Cheeky P, right? Palacios would have been out for, you know, punching whoever it was in the back of the leg there. So, you know, VAR probably, yes, would have helped us in the Atuesta case, but it definitely wouldn't have helped us in Palacio's case because you punch a guy in the back of the leg like that, you're going to get a red card. So, you know, I, you know we, what, we though, that both. was what what initiated that, though, was the knee to the, the head, yeah. the knee to the head, man, like I, uh, the double standards here, you know, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, uh, you know, and then obviously there was very little refereeing in the final match there. We obviously thought that that was a pen against blessing. I think upon video review, it it looked like a pen against blessing. Uh, frankly, we should have had the penalty against Atuesta before the red card anyway in the previous match. So we weren't getting those calls. There was an opportunity where Blessing was wide open, middle of the box, and all Mazowski had to do was just head the ball down to Blessing, and he was wide open in on goal. Mazowski can't get the header down. It goes to the keeper. He cleans it up. Vela had two chances on goal that 95% of the time he's going to put away, and he happened to have missed both of those. Again, in the second instance there, when he got kicked in the calf there, it looked like that was a red card and going to get called back. But because Vela sort of angrily kicks the ball out, which looked like a shot, they ended up calling it a play on. And we ended up not even getting a foul or a yellow on what was obviously a flagrant red there as well, too. So we were all really disappointed in the officiating. And despite all of that, all of the poor midfield ability to pass and play through for 71 minutes, we were the better team in a CONCACAF Champions final in our third year of existence versus some of the greatest teams in North and Central America. Uh, and that is something to be proud of. Sifu didn't have the energy to make it. He was gassed. You could tell it about the 60th minute. He was really struggling. And by the 70th minute, it, it made sense to take him out. And I understood why Bob did that. He didn't have it. You know, Sifu's inability to keep his fitness up played a big role in our loss. 
because once Janela came in, the entire team seemed to fall apart. And frankly, the second we scored that goal and took that lead, there was a completely different attitude, energy, and performance out of our team. The passing was atrocious. Prior to that, Kay was having a terrible night passing the ball. But it seemed like the second we scored that goal, we could not connect two passes to save our life. It didn't matter who had the ball. They were attempting these really long 40-yard passes. We had no business playing with a one-goal lead. We could not seem to play it into someone's feet on the move. Any pass that made it to a player, they had to stop and come back to retrieve. We just lost any sense of cohesion at that point. And you could tell it started to sort of snowball. It was getting in the players' heads. You could see it in their faces. You could see it in their movement. They knew that they weren't playing together. And that first goal, frankly, I think we all kind of saw it coming at that point. Disappointing, it comes on a corner. Vela absolutely should have got forward and met the first ball before the header comes in. And why in the world, when Kay is protecting the back post like that and the header comes in and he goes to kick it away, he falls over and completely misses the ball. And frankly, this is not the first time we've seen that from Kay. Whenever he attempts a volley or half volley shot, he always seems to fluff the shot and fall over. And I don't understand how a professional soccer player of his ability, and frankly, we've seen great ability from him, has this ability while shooting to completely lose his balance and fall over. But it's not the first time we've seen it. Unfortunately, this time it was on a clearance off the line, and he absolutely whiffs what should have been a very simple clearance, falls over, and the game is tied. We're all pretty frustrated at this point. Then we have just a complete error from Ginella on the second goal. He's caught on the complete wrong side of the pitch. He clearly was trying to swap sides, but no one swapped. Their entire right side was left wide open. Ginella did not have the speed or the pace to be able to track back. His attempt to make the tactical foul completely failed. But then the defensive back line came together and sort of stopped that. But of course, the pass goes out to Gignac for whatever reason. He is wide open, and I have no clue why he is wide open right at the top of the box. And he puts a shot in that, frankly, Vermeer might have had a better chance on. I think Cisniega gives that ball a run for its money. But with Vermeer in there, he did not get a very good jump on it. Geniac puts it in the back. It's 2-1, and there are so many things about that that frustrated me. The fact that we took that lead and didn't change our tactic, didn't change our mentality, didn't try and protect the ball didn't try and kill any time. We were still rushing to get the ball forward, rushing to get that second goal. And if we'd have just stopped and killed the game for 20 minutes, we'd be sitting here with a cup right now. And sure, part of me wants to put that on Bob. Part of me wants to put that on senior veteran players like Vela, who frankly, after he missed that second shot and didn't get the call against him, really was not much of a factor in the rest of the game at that point. Your captain needs to be the one barking and organizing people. And as that midfield was falling apart, he should have been making sure people tracked back from the forwards in order to help that midfield out. None of that happened. We got stretched super long where our front line is way up top as we're trying to bring the ball forward, forcing us once again to make these really long passes. And it just wasn't working. When they made the two offensive-minded subs, it really just destroyed what we had going. And I get it. Look, if we had a deeper bench, maybe we could have done that.
But part of me just thinks, look, Bob should have gone five four one himself or four four two something. Try and get us a little more help in that midfield. Try and lock that ball down a little. I was getting but so frustrated, and it just it hurts. It hurts. But Bob doesn't change formations. He like doesn't ever. ever. And sure. so, I mean, that's I mean, that's I think that Bob is a firm believer that if we play our football the way we're supposed to play, that our four three three is going to work. So I I mean. He's he's not going to say why should I have to change my tactics because if everybody does what they're supposed to do, it'll work. I don't disagree with that, but I think part part of it what is in the four three three system that LAFC plays is the wingers Vela Rossi or Apoku, they're supposed to come and help and drop down either pick up balls offensively or actually help defensively, right? So that wasn't happening. Like, we were stretched really really far apart. Like our three lines were disconnected. And I think that Rossi or Opoku or Vela should have noticed that Ginella was having a hard time and just dropped down to get some of these balls. If you really look back at the Club America game, Vela was coming down to get that ball and drawing fouls, right? Stopping the game, slowing it down. Like I, That all went out the window, and I don't know why that was, right? And it's just interesting to me. Like part of part of this is on Bob. I don't think he did a good job of calming people down. I don't think he, you know, or they maybe they didn't listen to him. Like that corner, like, you know, in Mexico, this, this is how how it goes over there. And this is one of the things I think still has to happen with our club is you're winning one zero. It's a one off. Go and grab the ball from the corner and go. You know, hand it to them. Let your players get organized, right? Take a breath, right? They were they were building momentum. Killed it with all these little antics. It's not anti-football, but you know, you're you're tired too, right? You've been seventy minutes of pressing, so be smart about it. Get someone to grab the ball, and also, I don't know why they didn't let Vermeer just kick that ball out. He had the angle, like, and he had the speed to get there it's it's just unfortunate like i i do think that is one thing that needs to be buttoned up next year the keeper i think our back line is actually more solid than people are saying online someone needed to step up yes because janela was uh, not able to catch up they were stepping back stepping back stepping back someone needs to step up and take that foul i don't know why janela was unsuccessful in bringing that person down like just trip him because that guy was not going to give a yellow anyway like you know that you've been watching the entire game and even if he did, that would have been the first yellow, you know? Right, exactly. Like, do even that, if like, you get 40 a red there, who cares? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's just all these little things that they don't think through. And I hope Ginella grows from this, but I'm not hopeful because that speed has not been better in, earlier in the year. So he, he isn't a starter, and he isn't a player for a final where the game is on the line. I think he's good at finishing off a game when we need energy and we have, like, a two-goal lead. That's that's my assessment of that. Blessing gave us all he had, but like he he ran out of momentum. And then, you know, Kay, I was hoping he had his moment of leadership, um, a clean, decent game, and he gave us all he had. And it's, it's unfortunate that he wasn't able to perform better. But I think he gave us his best defensive effort. He even that wasn't um, enough to get us to win, right? I think Atuesta does help just connect and amplify each one of our midfielders' assets because of his stylish, clean play, his good defensive um, positioning. Because he isn't the best tackler either, but I think he's at the right place at the right time more often than not. 
and then he his passes allow um, both Blessing and K or Sifu to have an easy first touch to move on to the next movement or pass. Uh, without him, like it was very clunky. Like the passes from K were were causing our players to have more than one touch. When it's a pass from a Twesta, a Twesta gives it to you on the right foot, on the left foot, so that you have one movement, and the next thing is just your pass or your move to go on to goal or to the next uh, facet of the game. So I, if I you think... go back and rewatch that game, which I would not recommend anyone doing, but it's something that we were talking about as we were watching the game from maybe the 10th minute on K does a great job defensively and he had a decent defensive game. Obviously his biggest defensive moment, he fell over and missed the ball and allowed the goal. So that, that kind of puts a dark cloud over the whole thing, but his passing from the beginning of the game on was not there. It was not there all night. He was constantly playing balls to spaces where there were no LAFC players even when he was finding players, the passes were coming in too hot or behind them or too far in front of them. And it, it just broke the flow up. And it was disappointing to see because he's obviously a person that we all like. And as a human right. being, he's a great human being. And he has some defensive qualities that are great. He's a good header on the ball. I'm not exactly sure if he's the best choice to be placed at that back post. I think he's probably better contesting a header out towards the top of the six. But... You know, look, I get it. Someone's got to be back there. Bob chose someone. Uh, I would have probably picked someone a little more sure-footed. Bob chose someone with, you know, a little bit more sure-headed in that regard, and and it just didn't work out. You know, every button Bob pushed didn't work. Sometimes that's going to happen. To see the mentality of the team fall apart when we took that lead was a bummer. There were times when, you know, Vermeer should have just fallen on the ball, laid on it for a minute, slowly picked it up if he gets a yellow for time wasting who cares at that point and it just seems like there was such a frenetic energy to the game when we took that lead and and when we're watching the game we're like why aren't they trying to kill this why aren't they trying to slowly play out go to a corner kill some time it just seemed like we were like racing to get that second goal like we needed it badly like we were down a goal at that point and i don't understand why when the team was already looking a little bit gassed that they tried to press for that next level of energy when it was the opposite of what was needed in that case. We needed a calming force, someone to just kind of kick it around and play it back and not necessarily go after the long passes or the deep runs. Um, It was disappointing to see the mentality be the reason that we collapsed in the end. But again, for 70 minutes, we were the best team in in North and Central America. In our third year, that's something to be proud of as as disappointing as final 20 minutes of the game proved to be and as frustrating as so many of those little pieces that went into it were and a day removed from it i am still absolutely gutted i was in a bad place last night i was in a bad place this morning after that loss i'm starting to get to a better spot about it as more i talk to other lafc fans and you know by the time we get to next season i'm sure you know we'll all be raring to go again to prove it but it just this one stings it stings because we had it we had it right there in our grasp And it's not like they scored a couple screamers that were just individual feats of brilliance and we got beat on brilliance. Both of those goals were a combination of multiple clear errors from us. And there were a lot of errors in the five, 10 minutes before that goal that just led me to believe that we were falling apart. And that hurt to watch because it wasn't us at our best being beat by a team at their best. 
it was us falling apart and not being able to keep up with the physicality of the game. I, I will say this, though. Two comments. Like, the goal by Gignac, I th- I'd say, like, less than 5% of keepers in the world would stop that. Just because the way he placed it, it was, you know, opposite foot of where the keeper was standing and the confidence and the true way he hit it. It, it was almost impossible to, to block. But why is he wide open? Why I agree with you on open? that. I agree with you, you on know, that. If you know, if you look at the replay... He, uh, there was the player, the Tigres player with the ball, and two other yeah. Tigres players were, were running up alongside him. One of them ran into the box, and Geniac stopped and cut across the top of the box. Yeah. And the defenders from LAFC kept their line, and they kept moving back in the same at the same momentum, and they just uh, just left him unmarked. Maybe they, I don't know, you know, maybe. Because at that time, too, we only had three defenders in the back. Well, you could also see uh, right after Geniac scores, K comes oh, no, in super yet. winded yeah. like he was supposed to be tracking him as well, too. He was. Uh, and I hate to keep throwing on K because we <laughs> like the guy. But, you know, he had a terrible game, arguably the worst game we've ever seen him play. And you can see him kind of come in at the very end there and kind of mea culpa that Geniac was his man. But, I don't think that that yeah. was K's worst game, bro, ever. I, I'm... I mean, I feel like there's been a couple of games where we've seen Mark Anthony K have like really, really not great performance. I don't think this was his worst game ever. I will say this: so Blackman and that last play had a decision to make. Someone was cutting right into the goal. The other one was Geniac. He 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 probably assessed that there was a higher probability of the guy going right into that through pass, might get the ball. So he kind of stopped and took that angle. Geniac was dude. Geniac is so smart. First of all, it's not only his ability. He is one of the smartest players in Liga Mekis. So he just held his run, and that was like a training exercise for him, that shot. It was it was super simple, something that you probably learn when you're in your teens to put that kind of ball away. So the other comment I was going to make is this team has been together for a long time. This Tigres team is called the team of the decade. They never got flustered, if you really notice, despite being put all this pressure they were not screaming at each other they were just going through the motions they were just trying their best they were just maintaining and making sure that they were still had a chance at the end of the game because they knew that at some point that we were going to get tired and we were going to have that adversity and they just needed a few plays to take advantage of those moments because they've been in these situations before with against Monterrey against Leon against uh, America. So that's why they have, you know, they're called the team of the decade in their own country. So that's what concerned me most uh, out of all of this, especially with Atuesta not being there. Like we were going to have enough game changing substitutions because that's what you needed against a team that's that deep. You need at least one or two players that could come and just change it up where once they start gaining momentum, we just shifted on them and we were uh, we were unable to do that. And it's hard because maybe Bob didn't have all the cards or all the bullets he needed, but at the same time, he needed to make it happen. And I put some of that on him. Like, he needed to have a better game plan, because I think that was expected. At least I expected Tigres to have a few moments at the end of the game where they were going to make it difficult on us and probably put some goals away. Yeah, it was it was a bummer. It was a bummer. We couldn't keep up with what they were able to bring in. I mean, and if you look at subs versus subs, the subs they brought in outclassed ours. And part of that's the financial inequalities between Liga MX and MLS and trying to put these two teams on the pitch together and calling it a fair game. 
when you have teams that are spending four or five times as much. You know, I mean, this is something that MLS is going to have to address if it thinks it's going to compete against CONCACAF. You know, LAFC, sadly, you know, in Toronto uh, a few years ago might have set back some of those uh, because LAFC did so well. You know, there might be some continued belief from MLS ownership that squads with our salary constraints can still compete against the Americas, the Tigres, the Leones, the Cruzazos of the world. And frankly, we did, you know, 70 yeah. minutes. It just it just fell apart there at the end. But, you know, through adversity, we grow. Uh, the ups don't mean anything without the downs, right? It's part of how we grow, part of how we learn, part of this whole sort of masochistic love of sports that we all have in that you know, when you win a game, you don't come up as high as, as you do low when you lose a game like this. And, you know, hopefully this galvanizes yeah. us and gives us some coaching and learning moments that we can take into 2021. And, and this this grows a squad that hopefully the core of which remains together yeah. next year. We know that we might not be seeing a lot of these same faces mm-hmm. again when the club gets back together, whenever that may be. Hopefully COVID is is on its way out by then and we can start this up around a normal time. But any final thoughts on our Conca champions performance before we go ahead and put a bow on this episode, gentlemen? Uh, Chris, we'll kick it over to you. Do you have any final thoughts on our Conca performance? First of all, I just want to say that the club getting to the finals is such a uh, accomplishment. And I think that... We should, when we sit back and we look at everything, the body of work that LAFC had done, if you're upset about the finals match, I think if you were to really give a fair evaluation, look at everything, you would realize what we accomplished, and it's nothing short of amazing, you know, and... Like you had listed off, Jonathan, the difference in salary and all these other factors that that play into it, LAFC deserves a bunch of credit for for getting as far as they did. It's disappointing that we won't be in it next year, and who knows how soon again we'll be able to get in there because it's it's a matter of the people that, that actually do win something, right? It's the U.S. Open winner, the Supporters' Shield winner, and the MLS Cup winner, and then the second play, and then the the loser of the uh, uh, MLS Cup, provided it's not one of the other people that won one of the first three. So it, it, it's not easy for us to get back into this competition. I hope that LAFC figures out a way to replicate our 2019 season as best they can. And I hope that when we do go into the Champions League that we learn from this experience and we build upon it. My final thoughts on this season, I agree that in three years, LAFC has accomplished a lot. And unfortunately, we only have a supporter shield to show for it. So I, I think this fourth year is a put up or shut up. There's been a lot of expectations that we put on ourselves. And then we've gone to almost the last moment to actually lift a cup, right? But if you think about it, you know, we lost in the first playoff game. Then we got into the second we got into the second round or the conference finals and lost there, or essentially a semifinal. And then in this CONCACAF Champions League, we went beyond the semifinal and got into a championship. So it is the next natural step in the next knockout competition. I think this was a, a loss opportunity because when will it again be where in the CONCACAF Champions League, there is a one game, it's not a two-legged affair, it's in a neutral site. You don't have to go down to Mexico where... You know, half of the stadiums are at altitude, and it's a whole different game. We we haven't proven that we can win down there or play well. And then it was also 
a competition in which the MLS teams are probably in better rhythm. It was in the inverse of what it usually is, right? They're they're kind of in their off season, and we were still kind of in form. Or if you really think about it, both seasons had ended, so we were kind of on equal playing fields instead of, you know, Liga MX being mid mid season and us being in preseason. So all these things are factors that I think weren't taken advantage of in terms of finishing the job. Did we show well? Did a Mexican media talk about LAFC's football? Tuca Ferretti himself said he admired the type of football and the way we approached the game. Those are all great compliments, but the history books are not going to have our name on it, right? And that's that's what hurts of, from this. We had an opportunity to, to etch our name in the trophy, and if you look up in Wikipedia, it says Los Angeles Football Club, and we just weren't able to do that during the season or during the Champions League final, and we know we have the squad to do it. It's just, you know, our team is very young for the most part. I understand that, and some of our main pieces of the core probably won't be here, so... I'm just interested to see what next year will bring. Uh, I think the expectations are going to be heavy. I think the pressure on Bob is going to be heavy to actually bring some silverware now. I think he's had quite a bit of leeway, and he has had the support of the supporters for the most part. But I think the chatter is going to get louder if he's unable to accomplish the things that uh, LAFC is set to accomplish. Well, with that, that'll about wrap us up for today. LAFC made it all the way to the doorstep of eternity, sadly turned away in the last 20 minutes. But I suppose that's the most 2020 thing that could have happened, is it not? But with that, on behalf of Chris, Christian, sound engineer Wilton, and myself, we would like to thank all of you who have stuck with us through this difficult year. We know we have not been able to put out as many episodes as we would like. We are really committing in 2021 to bringing you guys more content, more interviews. We have some really, really fun stuff on the horizon. Speaking of the gaffer himself, we have an interview coming up with Bob Bradley himself, making a pod appearance, which will be fantastic. We have some episodes with... Ken the Falcon or Ken Micknick coming up. They're going to be really fun. And as always, if anyone out there in the community wants to come and join us, we would love to be an avenue to tell your stories. You can reach out to us at, at LAFCS2S on all your social media platforms. I would like to put out a big shout out to the folks at FCFC and Somos LAFC for inviting me on these past couple of weeks. It's been a pleasure to get back behind the microphone and help out some of the members of our pod fam. Thank you so much to the boys, both at FCFC and Somos, for having me on and helping plug the show here. And we're just happy to get back and be at it with you. It has been a very, very difficult year for us to try and book and continue to keep guests. But Chris Christian Wilton and I are going to keep bringing you content, guest or no. We're happy to just sit here and talk LAFC with y'all. And if you want to come on and voice your opinion, you disagree with us, you agree with us, and you want to come on here and yell at us, please, please. Go ahead and do so. Reach out to us. We'd be happy to talk to you about some footy. And with that, that'll call it a day for us. So thank you, Chris. Thank you, Christian. Love you, boys. Good to talk to you. Happiest of holidays to everyone out there. A very happy new year to you. Let's hope 2021 brings us some joy, some elation, some trophies, uh, and a health and wellness to everyone that we have sadly missed in 2020. So thank you, everyone. Happy holidays and happy new year to you. And with that, take us home, Sticks.
shoulder. Together, this our culture. Feel the force of a supernova. Stay fly in that FC Dorsum. Hey, shopping down to Nikki's, Koreatown Liddy. Cape so mommy, about to drop her fifth. They won't need to stop, but I ain't. Come to my house, I'll defend that bank.